today we will be in uh, Romans 12, but we're going to take a little journey before <clears throat> we kind of get to where uh, our focus passage is going to be. Um, this is kind of building off of our worship focus for last week. Um, if you weren't here, we uh, mentioned some verses in uh, the first part of Romans 12, and really um, just kind of reminding you guys that, hey, um, you know, I don't think many of us in here are Jewish. Um, I know we have one at least, but um, not many of us are. But the good news is because of Israel's unbelief, the gospel has come to us as being Gentiles. Um, and we celebrate that. And, and so last week, I kind of reminded you guys of that um, as we got ready to worship. And so I'm kind of going back to that thought um, and really kind of building off of that. And um, hopefully uh, this message will be encouraging um, to you guys today. Uh, I know sometimes when I preach, I feel like I'm not encouraging. I feel like I find something really hard and throw it at you and you leave like I've just, you know, kicked you in the teeth or something. Um, and so I don't want to do that today. I want you to be encouraged today. I want you to uh, be encouraged in who you are in Christ and what um, God has done for us. And so hopefully that's where we'll get to. Um, but before we get there, before we really get into Romans 12 and uh, look at these passages, I do want to go back um, all the way back to Romans 9 verse 30. And uh, we'll read through uh, verse, or chapter 10 and verse 4. And really, what I, what I want to do is I'm going back to this thought of um, how the gospel came to us as non-Jews um, and, and what a great mercy and grace that was from God. Um, so starting in uh, Romans 9, verse 30, Paul, of course, he's kind of making the case all through uh, the book of Romans. But here we come to the point where he says, what shall we say then that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? that is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel had pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And then if we jump over to Romans 11, in verse 11, he says, So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. And so just to say that, just to say, if we go back and we look, Paul's making the argument um, that one, yes, God did choose Israel of all the nations to, um, to, to put his promises and his covenants through these people, um, but yet they stumbled. And the, the reason they stumbled is because they were putting their faith in the law, in the things that God had given them and not by faith and so they were looking at their works and not really looking at their faith and so when Christ came of course they rejected Christ because he kind of went against everything that they believed um, they believed that you had to hold to the law to please God 
and to be righteous. And yet Christ came and he, he preached a different message and they didn't like that. Um, but we know, looking back, that it is by faith that we're saved. It's by faith in who Jesus was and what he did for us. And by placing our faith in him as our only way of salvation, we know that that's how we, how we are saved. Um, but for Israel, it wasn't quite that way. Um, it was a message that they didn't like. And so Paul says because of that, because they rejected this message of salvation by faith, of who Jesus was, that they wanted to uphold the law, they stumbled. And because of that, the, the, the gospel was sent to the Gentiles who um, Paul is preaching. And I love that in, uh, that in verse 11 it says, um, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. They didn't fall for no reason. Um, as Paul points out, this whole thing was part of God's plan. Um, because of their failure, the gospel came to the Gentiles, which we, are, we benefit from. And for that, we should be grateful. We should rejoice because the gospel has come to us because we are now a chosen people, um, as the Bible teaches. And so, because of that, we can be saved. We can be saved um, by faith through Jesus Christ. And so, because we're saved, what does that look like? Um, and that's kind of the point that I'm wanting to get us to, is um, most of us in here, if not all of us, are believers. We've all been saved we've all been we've placed our faith in jesus however you want to word it um we all kind of fall in that category and so we rejoice in that we we praise god because of that but what's the requirements of that what does your salvation look like and and what are you doing with it um is really kind of where i'm wanting to get to in this because um oftentimes when we talk about salvation we talk about a future um, hope that we have that someday when I stand before God my sins have been paid for and so therefore I will not suffer God's wrath but I will spend eternity with him in heaven and that's true and that is the most wonderful thing you've ever heard in your life uh, because you're not going to face God's wrath but a lot of times that's kind of where our salvation stops in our lives is it's something that someday I'm going to fully reap the benefits of but as of right now, I just live with this future hope. Um, and that's kind of where we cut it off. But that's not really the whole picture. That's not the whole story of our salvation and why God has chosen uh, to save. And so I'm, I want to look at um, just a little bit about our salvation before we jump into uh, these verses here in Romans. And so uh, one of the great things um, of being a believer, as I've mentioned, is, is we won't face God's wrath. Um, so one of the benefits of you being saved is your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that's what we oftentimes point to and we oftentimes rejoice in. Um, Revelation 20:15 says, if anyone's name was not found written in the Book of Life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And then Revelation 21:27 says, but nothing unclean will uh, ever enter, speaking of uh, heaven, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who <coughs> are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so we know this to be true. We know that at the moment of salvation, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that you'll stand before God, not pay the punishment for your sins. You won't enter the fiery hell 
because of that, um, you'll spend eternity with God. And we know this to be true. Um, but what else happens at the moment of salvation? Is that it? Like, is that the end of what happens to us as believers? Um, and we know that there's multiple things that happen, but one thing I want to remind us of, that a lot of times as a uh, non-Pentecostal church, we don't spend a whole lot of time and effort um, on is that we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, that God has placed his spirit within us. And oftentimes we neglect the Holy Spirit or maybe not neglect, but we don't we don't really focus on the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in our lives. And why was he even given to us to begin with? Um, and so I want to look at a few verses um, just to kind of remind us that, hey, your salvation is not only a future hope. But your salvation is real and present now at this moment. Um, and God has placed his spirit within you for uh, multiple reasons. And so I want to look at that a little bit. Um, John 14, verses 15 through 17, um, Jesus tells us of this, and he says, For if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask a Father, and he will give you another Helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so we know this to be true. We, we, these were the words... Um, that Christ was sharing that this is indeed a reality. That if you are chosen by God, if you are a believer, um, you will receive the Holy Spirit and he will be with you and he will dwell in you. And as I say sometimes, I think we kind of forget the fact that that's a reality in our life uh, because sometimes it doesn't feel like I have the Spirit of God living inside of me. Um, and I'm sure it's the same for you. There's times that we struggle with that uh, because we give in so much to the flesh, we completely forget that God's Spirit is indeed alive and working inside of us. Um, and so what purpose does the Spirit serve in your life? Um, so I just want to point out two things. Um, one is uh, God gave us his spirit as a guarantee that he's going to fulfill his promise of eternal life. And we see that in Ephesians 1, uh, verses 13 and 14, where it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so that's one great thing that, you know, not only does God say, hey, um, you know, someday you will have a future um, eternal life with him in his presence, but he's given us something. Um, and oftentimes the, the word of, of this guarantee is uh, kind of like a down payment. And so, like, if you go to buy a house, you put money down because you want to buy this house. And that's basically guaranteeing, hey, I'm going to buy this house. Um, so sometimes you have to put a payment down to kind of hold that as a promise that I'm going to give you the rest of the money. I'm going to fulfill my obligation uh, because I've, I've put some money, and Chastity's not here. She knows all about that, I'm sure. But you put some money up front just to say, hey, this is my guarantee that I'm purchasing this thing. Um, and so we kind of see that with God, that God's given his, uh, his spirit kind of as that same guarantee is, is 
you will have a, a future life with God for all eternity. Um, but in the meantime, he's given his spirit as that guarantee. And so when we talk about our salvation, we talk about um, our security in that salvation. How do we know that God's going to fulfill his promise? Well, he's given us the guarantee that his spirit lives within us and he's with us forever. And we know that he is a guarantee of that future reality. Um, but that's not the only reason. Um, if we go to uh, Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 5. Paul writes, and he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is uh, death, but the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And then if we go to Ephesians 2, in verses 8 through 10, and these are very familiar verses to all of us, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so part of the, um, I don't want to call it an agreement, but part of the the thing that God expects from us during our salvation or because of our salvation is that we will do good works for God. Um, we see that in Ephesians 2 that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared that we should walk in them. And so there's kind of an expectation um, that once we become a believer we will do good works for God. And the reason I wanted to bring these verses out in Romans 8 is because we can't do that in the flesh. We can't do that in and of ourselves. Without the Spirit of God, it says those who are in the flesh cannot even please God. And so before you were saved, before you received the Spirit of God, um, there was no work that you were going to do that was going to be pleasing to God. But because of our salvation, because of God putting His Spirit within us, we can now please God through the things we do. Um, and sometimes that's kind of hard for us to come to terms with, is that uh, it seems like so many things that we do in our life are probably not pleasing to God. It's like, how can I ever do anything that pleases God? But we can. Um, God has put the ability within us. He's given us the means to do things that are pleasing to him. And sometimes that's hard for us and we forget that. Um, and so we look at people around us and, and, and say, well, they can do, you know, they can serve here, they can do whatever because they're more mature than I am. And I don't feel like because of the way my life is, I can really do anything to serve God. And so we kind of live in that lie um, that we don't have the means to, to serve God and to be pleasing to God, um, but we do because we don't do it through our own power. We don't do it through our own um, flesh. We do it through the spirit that God has placed within us because we have placed our faith in Christ. Um, and so to say all that, just to get to Romans 12, because Romans 12, we deal with um, our service to God. And, and I don't want us to go into this thinking that I don't have the ability to do what we're about to read. Um, I, you know, whatever excuse we have, uh, we can put that aside because we know that we don't do this through our own effort. Um, we know that, that the things that God are, 
is telling us to do or is requiring of us, um, he's given us the, not only the, the requirement, but he's given us the ability. And I want us to kind of realize that as we go into Romans 12. And so, um, again, just to kind of keep everything in context, I want to focus on verses uh, 9 through 13, but I want to go ahead and start reading um, in verse 1 just to kind of keep everything uh, together. And these are the verses we looked at last week in our worship focus, uh, the first couple of verses in Romans 12. So Romans 12, 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will, is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. And having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, to the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so these verses are packed full of great truth um, that Paul is reminding us of. And just a couple of things I do want to point out as we move into uh, verse 9 is, you know, Paul, he says um, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then he goes and he tells us not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so when we think about how do we do that, how do, we, how do I present my, my, my body to God as a service? Um, he he kind of tells us that. And, and the way we do that is that we're not conformed to this world, but we're transformed by the renewal of our mind. How is our mind renewed? It's through the Spirit of God that he can renew our mind. Um, and so we, we, we see this battle, as we talk about quite often, between the flesh and the spirit, and it, it goes on within all of us. Um, and so as we follow God's commands and we do what God uh, wants us to do, we, we realize that there's a battle within. Um, the more I submit to the flesh, the less pleasing I am to God, the more I'm conformed to this world. And so I submit to the spirit that is living within me, to be transformed, um, we call that sanctification, that, that I'm becoming more Christ-like. I'm becoming less like the world and more like Christ. That's part of the salvation process. Um, and so when we look at, you know, what he, what he even mentions uh, following those verses, how we're all part of the same body, how God has given us all gifts, how we, he's expected us to use these gifts in all these different ways, um, again, all of this is coming because of the spirit that God has placed within us, that we don't do all of this on our own effort or in our own flesh, but we do this because um, of what God has equipped us to do. And so we'll move on um, to Romans 12, starting in verse 9. And the, the heading um, 
in my Bible, it calls it the marks of the true Christian. And so these are just some things. They're real simple, um, kind of straight to the point. But I kind of want to look at these um, really. And again, just to say, you know, these are things that should be evidenced in our lives. Um, these are kind of expectations as being a believer. This is what your life should look like. Um, and it's not impossible because, again, God has given us the ability to to fulfill and to do these things um, because of the spirit that he's placed within us. So uh, verse 9, it says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Um, that's kind of real simple uh, commands. Um, we'll kind of take these a little bit, just one command at a time, and kind of look at them real quick. Um, the let love be genuine, what does that look like? You know, as a believer, um, we're expected to have a genuine love, and that word genuine just means sincere um, or something without hypocrisy. And so when we talk about our love for each other, as Paul has mentioned, we are all part of one body. Um, and so, therefore, we should love each other. You know, what does that love look like? Is that really a genuine love? Do you really love the people in this room? Um, or do you just kind of say that you do, but you really kind of love some of them, and some of them you don't? Um, that's really not an option. You know, God says, let love be genuine. Um, and we can do that. You know, when we submit again to the Spirit of God, we can love sincerely. Um, and I hope that your love for the people in this room is sincere. Um, if it's not, then, man, you really need to, to pray through that and um, humble yourself because if we don't love each other, you know, how are we going to love the world? How are we going to love the people outside of this building um, if you can't love other believers? And so our love has to be sincere. Um, it says to abhor what is evil. That's not a word that I use a whole lot. Um, you might, I don't know, but I don't. Um, but that word just really means to regard with disgust and hatred. And so when we talk about things that are evil, um, we should be disgusted by it. We should have a hatred for things that are evil. And a lot of times, um, I think we can look at ourselves and say, well, I do. You know, I, I hate things that are evil. I hate, you know, murder. Um, I hate, you know, whatever. But oftentimes we don't look at our own sinfulness because our sin is evil toward God. Um, if you lie to a co-worker, that's evil. And we don't see that on the same plane as somebody who just goes out and shoots up a school. You know, that's like, oh, well, that's evil, but this is not. Um, but it is. And, and so it sounds like it's easy to have disgust and hatred toward things that are evil, but we need to reflect that inward and say, what am I doing that's disgusting to God? And whatever he's disgusted by, I should be disgusted by. Whatever sin I have in my life should really, I should have a hatred for it and a disgust, and I should want that out and rid of it, and I don't want any part of it. Um, that's the type of heart we need to have. And again, it's very difficult. Um, Romans 1.30, kind of an interesting um, way to look at this, this word um, abhor or to look at something that is uh, hateful. 
uh, as Paul's talking about people that's been turned over to a debased mind in Romans 130, he, he's gone through a list and he's um, mentioned slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Um, that word haters of God, that, that word hate is kind of, it's that same word. And so when, when we always look at Romans 130 and we look at this list of man, people that's been turned over to debased mind and the way that they treat God, um, and we see that they hate God. And we can look in our world and we can say, yes, definitely, I see people that hate God. Um, that's the way we should feel toward sin. You know, that's the way we should feel toward the evil that, that we do. Um, we should have that same kind of disgust and hatred toward sinfulness as the lost world has toward God. Um, that's kind of the picture there. Um, I know we're always told not to hate, but there are things you can't hate, as long as it's sin. Uh, and then he says to hold fast to what is good. And really that just means to uh, join or unite yourself with what is good. And so it kind of goes with this whole thought of um, letting your love be sincere, hating evil, and then holding fast to what is good. And so you want to you don't want to unite yourself with things that are evil. You want to be disgusted by it, um, have a hatred toward it, and you want to unite yourself to things that are good. And so that's kind of the picture. Um, in verse 10, he says to love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Um, and again, it's kind of that whole same idea of, as we've already talked about, letting love be genuine. Um, that we need to love each other with this brotherly affection, that we need to look at other believers as a brother. Um, and I don't know, maybe you have a terrible family and you don't love your brother, um, but hopefully most of you come from a good family, and if you have siblings, you have a love for those siblings because you have a united bond. You are, you are related by blood, um, and so therefore you have a love. Even if you don't get along um, and it's still your sibling, and, and, you know, you'll take up for them or, you know, whatever it may be. And so when we look at each other, we have a bond. And our bond is not through our own blood, but it's through the blood of Jesus. And so when we look at each other, we should have a love for each other. And, and it says it's a brotherly love. And so it's kind of that same type of love as, you know, we're united as family. That's the kind of love we have for one another. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, Paul kind of mentions that. He says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for your, you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. We have all been taught by God to love one another. You know, Christ displayed this, this type of love with his apostles, that he loved them um, with this brotherly type of love, and that's the type of love we should have for one another. We're all a group. We're all in this thing together. Um, we're all part of one body, and we should love each other that way and then he says to outdo one another in showing honor um this word outdo can mean to take the lead um and so that's the way we need to we need to approach each other is somebody's got to somebody's got to take the lead somebody's got to show people honor it should be all of us um but sometimes we kind of sit around and wait for somebody else to do that and you know when i kind of see things like this outdo one another in showing honor um I kind of can relate to this in a way because I'm a fairly competitive person. 
And so anything that we do, like, I try to outdo other people. Um, I'm not always good at it, but, but that's, that's my drive. You know, so if we go out and we, we play anything, um, I'm going to try to outdo you. Even if I can't, I, I've, got the, I've got the desire to outdo you in whatever we do, um, even if I don't have the ability. And so when it says to outdo one another and show an honor, man, I can relate to that. Uh, because to me, that's kind of competitive. And so if we're going to show honor, I want to show honor better than you do. And in turn, you should want to show honor better than I do. Um, we should kind of be competing in that. Um, it doesn't sound fun sometimes. I don't, you know, uh, honor showing competition. I don't know what that would look like, but that's kind of the way we should treat each other, is we should treat each other as you are more valuable than I am. And it should almost look like a competition that, that we want to take the lead in it. I want people to see that, man, I, I do honor you more than I honor myself. I, I care more about you than I care about myself. And if we all did that as a group of believers, man, what would this church look like? If we always put other people before us, if we showed more value in others than we show in ourselves, um, it would be a beautiful picture of, of Christ and his church. Uh, because that's exactly cr the way Christ handled the people around him as he showed that they were more valuable than he was because he was willing to lay his life down. Um, and, you know, we should be the same way. And then in verse 11, he says, Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Um, this word slothful I'm really familiar with because I've been accused of being slothful, I guess, I think. Um, but it means idle or lazy, and I'm not going to tell you who's accused me of that. <laughs> I'll leave that up to your imagination. Um, but it's kind of an interesting turn. Do not be slothful in zeal, because zeal is kind of an eagerness or a diligence. And so it's almost like impossible. Like, can you be lazy and being eager? It's like that sounds kind of funny. They're like opposite words. Um, but we can. Like, we could just not care. Um, we can have no diligence. We can have no eagerness when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to sharing his gospel. Um, we tend to be very idle and lazy um, when it comes to these things. And this is exactly what Paul's saying. Don't be, don't be lazy in that. Don't be idle in that. Um, when it comes to this eagerness and this diligence to live this Christian life, to, to share his love with others, um, there should be an eagerness there. And he says to be fervent in spirit, which kind of goes along with this idea of not being lazy um, in showing zeal, to be fervent in spirit. Um, that just, fervent just means enthusiastic or excited. And I thought this was kind of interesting. In Acts 18, uh, verse 15, says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, uh, competent in the scriptures. And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, there's our phrase, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And I'm like, man, that's pretty neat because like this guy, he knew the scriptures and he knew of John's baptism, but that was kind of it. That was like his limited knowledge. Um, but yet he was very fervent in spirit, and it says he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. 
And, and being fervent in spirit drove him to share what he knew. Even if he didn't know everything, he was willing, he was, he was enthusiastic, he was excited to tell people what he knew. Um, and so when we talk about being fervent in spirit, that should be a reflection of us. We should have an excitement to tell people what we know. And again, a lot of times we look at ourselves and we say, well, I don't really know that much. Um, you know, maybe my knowledge of the Bible is limited. Maybe I feel like uh, I'm not as mature as some people in my knowledge. Maybe I'm a new believer. Uh, and so we kind of sit on the sidelines because we feel like we're not equipped or we're not good enough to share anything. Um, and that's not what we're called to do. We're called to be excited in spirit, to be enthusiastic. Um, and as Apollos did, tell them what you know. Even if it's not everything, it's okay. Just be excited about what you do know. Be excited to share that with people. Um, and again, when we, when we look at how are we going to do that, um, it's not on our own ability. It's because of the Spirit of God that he's placed within us that we can share truth. That's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to bring these things to remembrance, the things that you've read, the things that you know. Um, as you share those with people, allow the Spirit of God to bring those to your remembrance to share those with people. Um, be excited about it. That's what we're called to do. And, man, it's so hard. Um, it's so hard sometimes uh, to put yourself out there like that because of the fear of failing or the fear of saying something wrong. Um, Sometimes it's hard to be up here because it's like, what if I don't want to say something wrong and then you guys go home and go, did you hear what he said? Um, even if it's a total mistake, uh, you know, that's going to be the only thing you guys hear and take away is like, man, I, he don't know what he's talking about. And, and so there is a real fear there. But yet there should be, a, that excitement should override any fear that we have. The excitement to share what we do know. Um, Man, we should be wanting to tell people that. Verse 12, he says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Um, these th three things, they really go together um, well. And, and really, when we look at those, and we'll kind of look at them a little bit, but as we look at them, it's like, I don't think you can do two of the three. I think if you leave one of these three out, the other two are not going to follow. Um, and so we'll kind of look at that. To rejoice in hope. Hope in what? Well, there's so much to be hopeful for. You know, we, we've talked about our future hope of someday spending this eternity in heaven with God. Um, that's the future hope we talk about. Um, but it's also the hope we have now. The hope of our sanctification. The hope of, man, I can be an instrument to God. I can... I can serve him, I can please him, I, I can do these things with my life. Um, the hope that we have that we can be and will be used by God um, is also a hope that we have. And so we rejoice in that. Those are things that we should rejoice in um, and not shy away from. And he says to be patient in tribulation. Um, tribulation, we oftentimes think of that as, you know, afflictions or distresses. Um, and we know... I mean, Ben, you don't have to live long to realize those are all around. And those happen all the time. Um, but yet those require patience. 
because oftentimes God is working through those. And, you know, when we're going through times of affliction or times of distress, um, oftentimes our prayer is, God, take me out of it. Remove this thing from me. Do away with it. Like, I don't like it. I'm tired of it. Um, but through that, God is working. And those things are in our lives for a reason. And so we have to be patient. Um, we have to be patient to go through these things and to allow God to work in our lives, to mold us into uh, the person that he wants us to be. And oftentimes that is through difficulties. Um, and so don't pray just to do away with it, but pray to be patient through that. Um, it made me think, uh, Matthew 13, verses 20 through 21, um, as Jesus was sharing a parable of the sower, he says, And for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on, the account, of, on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And to me, this is the saddest thing, that someone can hear the word, receive the word, and then because of the word, trouble comes and they leave. And they do away with it and they say, that's not for me. Um, we have to be patient through tribulation. You don't want to be the person who, because of the word, and it gets a little tough that you just walk away from it. Um, we have to be patient. And, and so that's part of this process. Um, we rejoice in hope, but we're also patient in tribulation. And then he says to be constant in prayer. Um, to be constant in substance, to be devoted to it. And this is a struggle for a lot of us, to be constant in prayer. We pray, but it's sporadic. Um, we pray, but it's when we need something. Uh, but to have a constant prayer life is difficult and it takes discipline and that's what we need is this discipline um, because if we're not devoted to prayer how are we going to be patient in tribulation when hard times come how, how are we going to have the patience through that if we don't have a good prayer life um, if that's the only time we pray and so we have to be constant in prayer we have to have a devotion um, to praying and then in, in verse 13 he says to contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Um, to contribute in something means to have a partnership in it. And of course, saints just refers to, to us as believers. And so when we talk about contributing to the needs of the saints, we're talking about having a partnership with the needs of believers. Um, and so if you have a need, I have a need. I partner with you in that need, and we try to meet the need. That's kind of what the church does. Um, we work in partnership with one another. We are part of one body, and so if one person has need, it's the, the job of the church to meet that need, and it's because we are partners in it. Um, that's what we do as a church, and again, uh, sometimes it's difficult, but again, God has equipped us to handle these things and, and to you go back to showing honor. This is, this is showing that people are more important than, you know, your need is more important than my need, so I want to meet your need. Um, it kind of goes back to all that. And then he says to seek to show hospitality. And this word seek just means to pursue. Um, and uh, hospitality uh, really talks about the love of strangers, to, to pursue showing love to whoever comes through that door. Um, we should treat people with love, even if you don't know them. You know, it's easy to love the people that you're close with. It's hard to love people that you don't know. 
um, but yet that's what we should do. And, uh, you know, a lot of times in, in New Testament days, um, I find it kind of weird in the world that we live in, but as people were traveling, uh, believers would allow people to stay in their home. If somebody was traveling through Sparta, you would be like, hey, come stay with me and you stay in my home and I feed you and send you on your way the next day. Um, sounds dangerous, but that was kind of what they did. Um, and so that, that was part of this showing hospitality. You, you had a traveler coming through town, you took care of them. And it, that's kind of a foreign concept to us. Um, but Hebrews 13, 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels um, unaware. And so, man, you just never know what type of a blessing you're going to be to somebody when you help other people out. Um, and so we should always be seeking to do that. We should be seeking to show hospitality to those that we come in contact with. Um, and again, I think it's just a great picture of uh, the gospel because you're showing love to others. You're, you're counting others as more important than yourself. And, you know, you think about who you were um, before God saved you. You were his enemy. You were a hater of God. Um, and yet Christ died for you anyway and brought you into his family and loved you. Um, we've been shown great hospitality, so how can we not show hospitality to others? How can we look at others and turn them away when, man, God's done so much for us? Um, and so I hope it's kind of encouraging to you that, that we read through things like this so we know, man, this is difficult. Um, it's difficult to do these things, to have these marks of a true believer. Um, but as I said, you know, when we go back and, and we look at what God has done for us, um, he hasn't commanded us to do these things alone. He hasn't commanded us to be this way and not given us the ability and the means to be this way. Um, and so I think it's a good reminder of us that when we read things like this and we read things that are difficult, uh, to know that God has indeed placed his very spirit within me so I can do this. I can love others. I can honor others. I, I can do all of these things because of what Christ or has placed within me. Um, you have the ability. And, you know, um, really there's no excuse. There's no excuse uh, to not have the effort in that. Um, so that's kind of all I got. Um, really kind of one thing that's been kind of driving this thought in me is as the elders have been meeting and talking, um, one of the things we're looking to do is to try to get a lot of our ministry started back. Uh, we kind of, when COVID hit, a lot of our uh, ministries and a lot of people that were able to do things really took a hit. We kind of paused a lot of things. And so we're looking at hoping to restart a lot of this. But that requires a lot of help. That requires a lot of people to work and to submit themselves and to do what needs to be done. Um, and a lot of times when we start talking about things like this, the first thing that we think about is I can't. I don't have the ability to do fill in the blank. Um, but we know we do. It's not our own ability that we do these things. It's because we are a believer. It's because we do have the Spirit of God living within us. He's equipped us to serve. He's equipped us to do these things. Um, and so, you know, when we... Uh, hopefully soon when we start talking about, hey, we need people to serve. We need people to help. 
um, that you'll know, hey, I can do it. Um, it might be hard, and I might be uncomfortable in my own skin doing this, but God has equipped me to do it. And you have the ability. Um, it just takes humbling yourself before God and relying on his help that we can do these things. Um, so I hope that you'll consider um, what you can do, um, that you'll take a look at, at what you are doing and, and know that, man, God has called us to so much more, um, but he's also equipped us to handle that. So uh, let's pray together and uh, we'll sing one more song and be dismissed. God, we are so grateful. Um, Lord, not only that you saved us from your wrath, but God, you have placed your spirit within us, Lord, that we may be pleasing to you. God, that through our lives we can um, honor you through loving one another, through serving one another, um, through our obedience to you. And God, I pray that when things get difficult, um, God, and when we're relying upon our own abilities and our own flesh, God, that you remind us and that you humble us, Lord, that we may rely upon you, um, because indeed you have equipped us. Um, God, help us to be a body of believers um, that know that our strength comes from you, that loves one another, that honors one another. God, that we may glorify you through the things that we do as we represent your church. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.